Maybe I, I, so I was thinking about coming in here, maybe wearing like a, a Superman costume, or I could have borrowed Mr. Incredible, but it probably wouldn't have fit. I had to start it over because oh, <laughs> Tim wasn't quite recording yet. You're all going, what's he doing? Um, oh, for those of you who are following us online, I am so sorry. Um, for the second week in a row, I think Julie's uh, phone was slain in the spirit and went flying off the handle and it was on the ground. And, and, and Glenda comes over real quick and she's trying to get it set and I think she actually shut it down and, and then, Glenda had, uh, then Julie had to start it back up. So online, those of you who are with us, thank you for bearing with us as we figure out what's going on. And the thing just kind of is ejecting the camera as it's going through there. Uh, but many of us, as, as we were growing up, you know, we wanted to be the hero who saved the world. You know, maybe you in the morning when you would get up on Saturday mornings and you would watch cartoons, you know, things like Super Friends or Mighty Mouse, maybe Underdog, uh, and the things like that. Or in the afternoons, you know, you went to school and you came home in the afternoon and, and you watched shows like Thundercats, He-Man, you know, what? Batman, uh, She-Ra, what? Super kitties now. They have all kinds of things. Depending on, on how old you are, there'll be different things that are out there. You know, things like Chip and Dale's Rescue Rangers. <laughs> and then there are a little bit more of the, the grown-up TV shows. Things like MacGyver. They actually have Regyver that's got, going through reruns or reworks and stuff like that, a newer guy. There's Airwolf, Quantum Leap, Walker, Texas Ranger. Um, because the good guy seems to do something amazing that saves the world. You know, even the movies that we watch have heroes in them. There are movies like, you know, Star Wars, the trilogy, trilogy, and then there's the sequels, and then the prequels. There is Marvel Universe, there's the Justice League with Superman and Batman. The most recent superhero is Black Adam that, that has come out. You know, Rock uh, Johnson, you know, he's out there as Black Adam and stuff. I'm nothing close to him, just so you know. Even the games that we played as we were growing up, maybe you played things like army men, you know, the good guys and the bad guys, or cowboys and Indians, maybe cops and robbers. Maybe you would prefer something like King Arthur and the Knights of the Round Table, and you're out there sword fighting, saving the world. See, it was all about the hero who saved the world. And so today, as we continue our series that we're working through in the final week, you know, Jesus' final week, we're going to take the next, I think it's still got like 12 more weeks before we get there. We're working our way up to Easter. We're talking about Jesus and the things that he did in his final week here on earth. And yes, as children and even many people as adults, we have these visions, these grandeurs of wanting to save the world. And then there is God's vision for how to save the world. The group for him, they wrote a song about Christmas from Joseph's perspective. Listen to the chorus of the song. It says, why me? I'm just a simple man of trade. Why him with all the rulers in the world? Why here in this stable filled with hay? Why her? She's just an ordinary girl. Now I'm not one to second guess what angels have to say. But this is such a strange way to save the world. God's plan to save the world, it was not at all what we had expected. Last week we, we spoke about Jesus and how he was not the Jesus that the Jews had wanted, that the people back then had wanted. See, they were waiting for their conquering hero to come in. 
and to lead this rebellion, to remove the Roman oppression, to make Israel the next world superpower. But you see, that wasn't what God had planned. He sent his son to die, to be buried, and then to be raised again. So as we continue to look at this last week leading up to the crucifixion, the the Passion Week of Christ, we start to see a transition in our scripture today. You see, Jesus, he has been focusing, he has been teaching the crowds. But after this, his message, it shifts. He's turning his attention to the disciples to prepare them for for what is to about Thanks, Tori. He's preparing them for what is about to happen. Jesus is giving the crowd one last notice, one last warning, one last plea. God's plan, it is about to be set into motion, and it's time to respond. The message that Jesus had can be summed up this way. Believe in me, I'll save the world. Jesus says you can believe in me because I and the Father are one. Julie read for us a little bit earlier the scripture. Verses 44 and 45. Then Jesus cried out, Whoever believes in me does not believe in me only, but in the one who sent me. The one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. And this speaks of the triune nature of God. uh, It speaks about the Trinity. You know, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. And yet the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not the Father. There are three persons, and yet somehow together they make one God. And we see this throughout the scriptures. In the Old Testament, it hints at it a little bit in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, when it says, let us make man in our image. After our likeness. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, it's speaking, it says Yahweh, our God. And when it says Yahweh, our God, it's speaking in a, a plural construct. Yahweh, our God, is one God. But the one God is in singular construct. So it goes from this plural construct down to a singular construct. Jesus spells it out in John chapter 10. In verse 24, the Jews have come to him and, and they're asking, Jesus, tell us plainly, who are you? And so Jesus responds that he has already told them, but they're not listening to him. And then he specifically says in John chapter 10 at verse 30, I and the Father are one. And again in our verses today in John chapter 12 at verse 45, the one who looks at me is seeing the one who sent me. Now, if you looked at the, one of the very last pictures that I took with my dad, I hadn't looked at it up there. You might say that I look just like my dad. My dad's the one in the middle. I'm the one. <laughs> Maybe you couldn't tell. I'm the one on this side. Maybe you couldn't. And the, my brother David, he's on that side, see? My dad was dying of cancer. My brother and I had the opportunity to go to Virginia Beach and and to visit with him. And this was one of the very last pictures that we took 
while we were visiting with him. We had made plans to go back and visit him a little bit later on and take our wives with us. And that never happened. He passed away before he got there. But if you had said that I looked like my dad when I was younger, I would have denied it. You see, I didn't want to have anything to do with my dad. I didn't want to look like him. I didn't want to act like him. I didn't want to have anything to do with him because he left and I was so mad at him. I would almost tell you that I hated him. But I must admit, if you look at that, we look an awful lot alike. Funny thing is, it wasn't planned, but we're both kind of standing there going, <laughs> we're leaning the same way. I, I noticed that and stuff like that. Oh. And so, yes, my dad and I, we may, we may look an awful lot alike. But when you see Jesus, you see the Father. You see, there is a deeper connection between Jesus and his Father. And we can believe in Jesus to save the world because he and the Father are one. Jesus says, believe in me because, as verse 46 puts it, I have come into the world as a light. And John, who writes the gospel he loves this whole concept of, of Jesus being the light. He begins his gospel stating that the, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then he goes on in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. And he summarizes that Jesus is the light that overcomes the darkness. In John chapter 3, verses 19 through 21, Jesus declares that the light has come. But evil men, they prefer darkness because light reveals all. In John chapter 8, verse 12, after releasing this adulterous woman, Jesus turns to the crowd and he declares that he is the light of the world. The message, it becomes a little more intense, a little bit more urgent. In John chapter 9, verse 5, after healing this blind man, Jesus says, I am the light of the world while here. In John chapter 12, verse 36, which we looked at last week, Jesus points out that the light won't be here much longer. <clears throat> Believe while you can. In John chapter 12, verse 46, our scripture today, Jesus states that he has come into the world to be a light so that you don't have to be in darkness. What does light do? It shines. It reveals, it allows you to see. Tim, can you kill these lights right here? This is going to be fun. Because I've got it on here, but I've never really pr practiced with it here. You can leave them off for a little bit, Tim. Thanks. I, now, I want you all to work with me for just a moment. See, it gets a little bit darker. Imagine you're in here on a Wednesday night. And you're playing sardines with the youth. For those of you who don't know, sardines is one person goes and hides, and everybody else is supposed to find them. And if you find them, then you hide with them. And you're playing this game of sardines, and it's in the middle of the night, and it's dark. And if you go to what I like to refer to as the dungeon, which is down below me, somewhere down here, the electrical panel room, it, it is dark when you're down there. You cannot see a thing. Someone could be just standing there hiding in, in what we would say right in the open, and you wouldn't see them. They could be right there in front of you, and you would not know that they were there. Years and years ago, Lisa and I, we went out to Sun River with my boss and his family, and we're out there for a weekend, and while we were there, we went through what is known, it's, it's in, the, in one of the national parks, it's the Lava River Cave. 
It's a cave that is about a mile long and actually stretches. It's really big at the entrance, and it stretches a mile. It goes under the, the freeway, and it goes in for about a mile. By the time you get into the very end of it, it's, it's pretty small. But when you get all the way back there into the very back, you can't see anything if you don't have a light. If you're going there, they actually recommend that you bring at least two sources of light in case one goes out. Because when you are that far back, if your flashlight, if your battery dies, you are in trouble because you cannot see anything in front of you. It is dark. Tim, we can go ahead and turn the lights back on. Thank you. Then I can see where I'm actually at in here. I want you to realize that Jesus, Jesus is far more brilliant of a light than anything. If, if you're playing in the background, or playing uh, sardines and you're in the dungeon, or if you want to, you can go into the furnace room. It's even darker in the furnace room. But the amazing thing is, if you're back there, not that I'm ever going to admit to doing this, if you're back there and you're trying to see, all I have to do is push on my watch and my light comes on and I can now see what I'm doing. If you're in that cave and you're all the way back there, all you have to do is strike one little match. And it's amazing how much light will come from even one little match in the darkness or from a watch. Or most of the time we're carrying our cell phones. What are, what your, cell, what your cell phone can illuminate. And Jesus, think of how much light is provided even from a watch or a little match. And Jesus is far more brilliant of a light than any of that. And he shines into every single nook and every single cranny. No deed can ever be hidden. See, whatever it is that you've done, and, and maybe you're keeping, you've been able to keep that from your friends or your loved ones. You can't keep it from God. Because God already knows everything that you have ever done. And you want to know the amazing thing? He's ready to forgive you. And that's because he loves you. We can believe in Jesus to save the world because he is the light. Jesus says, believe in me because rejection will result in judgment. In verses 47 and 48, if anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person. For I did not come to judge the world but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and who does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. You see, Jesus, he did not come into the world to judge the world. In Luke chapter 19 of verse 10, Jesus said what his mission statement was. He said, I have come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus came to save those who believe are not condemned. Those who do not believe stand condemned already. You see, the absence of light, it is dark. So if you refuse the light, then you leave yourself in darkness. There seems to be a little bit of confusion over this whole concept of judging. I've heard people declare, you can't judge me, you're not God. You're not the boss of me, I'm an adult, I can do whatever I want. And you want to know what? They're right. Yes, they can. But Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, it tells us not to judge so that we won't be judged. 
and judge and condemn, they, they kind of seem to be synonymous. Jesus tells us it's not his role to judge. And so it's not our role to judge either. You see, that role belongs to God and to God alone. It's not our job to go and, and tell somebody that they have no hope because of their sin. James chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, it in instructs us to help a brother and sister. Help them to see how their sin may be causing them to wander. How they can be restored, how they can be brought back. There was a lesbian couple and they were visiting a church and one of the elders quickly approached the, the pastor and said, hey, what am, what am we supposed to do? And the pastor says, simply go up to them and say hello. Introduce yourself to them. To which he responds, says, but then what? We're supposed to tell them that they're caught up in sin, right? And the pastor says, no, just get to know them. Strike up a conversation with them. Maybe take them out to lunch. I don't think the elder got the answer that he was looking for. A few months later, after attending church, the couple said to the pastor, hey, we'd like to have a meeting with you. And so they arranged a meeting. They, they met with him, and they said, our love for Jesus is greater than love for each other. We want you to help us to start making things right. And, and so the pastor did. He helped them to, um, to separate and get separate jobs, separate places, and, and to continue in, in their journey of faith, continue to grow, to learn more about Jesus. But what about our enemies? Well, 2 Timothy chapter 2 says we should correct an enemy with kindness, patience, and gentleness. Sound a little bit like the fruit of the Spirit going on here, doesn't it? See, we're just supposed to love people, kindness and gentleness, and then let God and the Holy Spirit work on their lives and, and convict them and, and let them know if there's any sin, if there's anything that they need to work on. Let God show them if there's a need for repentance. Same thing that he would do for us. But how does this compare maybe with our interaction on social media? Are we upholding God's standard in a godly way as we, we go to those sites? Many of us like to go and put people on blast and, and be almost confrontational out there with the hopes that somehow something we say will turn people to Christ. Usually it just turns them off. How could we think that would ever possibly work? And if Jesus, if Jesus came to save the world rather than to judge it, how are some people condemned? I mean, God loves the whole world, doesn't he? He sent his son to save the world. So why aren't all people saved? Well, God gave us free will. God gives us a choice. Think of a child who has uh, Legos or an erector set or, or maybe a remote-controlled car or, or a, a little robot. And, and with the remote-controlled car, you can tell the car to do anything you want. Tao just got one, and it's got these buttons. And I can make it spin around and go forward and backward and do all kinds of things. Tao doesn't want to have anything to do with it yet. He doesn't really like the mechanical stuff. But you, you do it for so long, and eventually it becomes old. You get tired of, of, of doing that because there's no real interaction. It just does whatever you tell it to do. But you see, that's not what God wanted. 
He didn't want to just tell us what to do and we would obey like some robot. And I'm supposed to go into some robot acting. I'm not going to right now. He wanted to have a relationship with us. He wanted to have an authentic relationship with us because we want to have that relationship with him. And so he gives us a choice. But you know, even with that said in 1 Timothy chapter 2, that tells us that God desires that all people will be saved. And that's why in Peter, he tells us in 2 Peter chapter 3, that God is not slow, but he is patient. Giving us time. Waiting. Waiting and giving everybody a chance. But you see that comes with a warning. Because the day is coming. The day is coming and time will run out. And Jesus will say, enough. So make a decision. So how should we live? Recognize that God has given you, God has given each and every one of us a choice. Acts chapter 2, verse 18 tells us to respond accordingly, to believe, to repent, to confess, to be baptized, and then to live it out. We can believe in Jesus to save the world because rejection results in judgment. And finally, Jesus says, believe in me because I am God's faithful messenger. In verses 49 and 50, for I do, I did not speak on my own, but the Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his command leads to eternal life. So, whoever, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. When it comes to religious teaching, the, this whole concept of authority, it was very important back to the Jews back in Jesus' day. And their scribes would teach, and they'd be pointing back, Rabbi so-and-so said this, or Rabbi whatsoever wrote this. And, and they would be, simply be parroting, they would be mimicking whatever the other rabbi taught. And so their authority came from some other person. In Matthew chapter 7, it tells us that Jesus, he taught as one who had authority. And this, it amazed the people, it amazed the crowd. Even when he was 12 years old, his parents found him in the temple and he was conversing with the scribes and, and the, the leaders in the temple and they were amazed at his knowledge. We find the same contrast in Mark chapter 1. The people, there are, they are amazed at how Jesus taught and the ellipsis, the, the pinnacle, the change of it all, is when he goes and he's able to cast out a demon. And now the people, they're all excited. They're all excited about his teaching because his teaching is actually backed up by his actions. The miracles, the things that he is able to do. The Synoptic Gospels, the first three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they each share about Jesus and, and how he went in and he, and he cleansed the temple. And the next day, the chief priest and the elders and the scribes, they come and they confront Jesus and they demand to know where his authority comes from. And I love how Jesus handles their question. He does it by giving them another question. And then they recognize that they're, they're in a quandary, they're, they're in a pickle, and there's really no way to get out of this. And so they refuse to give Jesus an answer 
And likewise, Jesus refuses to give them an answer at that time. But now in verses 49 and 50, our verses today, Jesus reveals that his authority, it has come directly from God. In fact, God commanded him both what to say and to speak. And it may sound a little bit redundant, but commentaries provide a difference in the message and the method. You know, the what and the how. And on a side note, the reason that God allows different styles of worship, different, different ways of, of doing worship services and, and different styles of worship is because we're all different. And we all worship differently, and we all enter into worship differently. You see, our method, it can change. It can adjust based on the, the people that we're ministering to or, or the people that we have here. But our message, our message, it cannot change. The gospel of Jesus Christ is unchanging. It is the same yesterday, today, and forever. What did God command Jesus to say and to speak? Eternal life. If you want to know how to live forever, to have eternal life in that relationship with God, listen to Jesus. We can believe in Jesus to save the world because he is God's faithful messenger. And as we were getting started, I mentioned that this is a transition in the book of John. You see, Jesus is giving the final notice to the people, to the crowd. He's giving a final notice, and after this, he's going to start concentrating on his disciples. Think about that idea of a final notice. How many of you have ever got a phone call and this is your, your final notice. Your car warranty is about to expire. I don't even have a car warranty. Or you get a phone call or maybe even some junk mail that says, your student debt can be forgiven. I never, ever had student debt. But this is going to be my final notice. And you're on the phone, you're going, I really hope that is my final notice. I hope they never call me again. You may even push the button that says, Take, put me on your do not call list. And next thing you know, they're still calling you again just from a different number. And then maybe, maybe you get a call from one of your credit cards, a, a bill collector, or maybe you get a notice that's hung on your door that says, this is your final notice. They're about to shut your power off or maybe your water off. When you get something like that, you realize it's time to maybe start communicating with somebody and figuring out what's going on. But just think about it. What happens if you get a final notice from Jesus? This is your final notice. This is your final warning. Hopefully you recognize that it is time. Time to decide now. Because Jesus says, believe in me, I'll save the world. But let's make it just a little bit more personal. Because Jesus says, believe in me, I'll save you. Do you believe that? 